This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Ladies and gentlemen, the year is 1984, and this is Unspooled Concert Audition! I am Paul Shear. I am not a singer. I am joined by Amy Nicholson, who I've heard can really tear it up in a karaoke room. I could really empty a karaoke room when I start singing. That's my gift. <laughs> and, you know, we're sitting down today to do something that I like to do from time to time on the show, which is just kind of look at what culturally is going on in the cinemas, in the multiplexes. And, you know, I've had this thought lately about why we are seeing more and more concert movies, but more importantly, why they are working. Amy, I think the story of the year has been Taylor Swift bringing movie theaters back. We've been looking for a savior. Marvel movies are not it. Every week, we're kind of surprised at what is it? Five Night at Freddy's? That's a hit? Great. We don't know. Uh, then we have like Killers of the Flower Moon. Not a hit. We are confused, but Taylor Swift comes in with her big, lush concert movie, and it creates a sensation. People are going to the show, they're dressing up, and all of a sudden we start talking about concert movies, and we start getting excited about what's the next one, and it's Beyonce. Oh my God, is Beyonce's movie going to be like Taylor's movie? Beyonce goes with Taylor to her own premiere. Our minds are being blown. This talk about eventizing movies is kind of moving away from this traditional model. And it's going into creating not only a special moment within the theater, but capturing a unique moment that you may not have been able to see. Like Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, I was there. And the amount of people that were outside the stadium was gigantic. People just wanted to be around it. And this movie brought you inside. And I loved that when kids were there, they were enjoying the movie like they were actually at the concert. And it made me think, like, what is the best concert movie? Why do people love concert movies? And then the answer kind of comes right on the side, which is the re-release of The Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense, which I think you could argue is the best concert movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, these two things together this fall have kind of been like the hot ticket right? Like here in LA, the night that they premiered uh, Stop Making Sense, the new like re-released, re-polished one, I guess you'd say from like A24 here at Vidiot's, it was so popular, completely sold out. Nobody could get in. And they just keep kind of bringing it back for these like one night only special events here in the city. And it's always packed because people want to go to a movie theater to do something that you don't really associate with movie theaters, which is stand up and dance. You can't do that when it's a Marvel movie. No wonder nobody wants to go see a Marvel movie. Where's the dancing in front of the screen? <laughs> well, look, I think that what you're touching on is something that I feel like is culturally important. People want this connection to 
community and they want to share this experience. And it's a lot cheaper to buy a $15 movie ticket than potentially a $1,000 concert ticket. And I'd never seen the Talking Heads stop making sense. I'd heard about it. I had like the uh, CD, but it was never anything that I actually went to watch or even rent. It was just sort of like, oh, I like that CD. I like that album. And I had pictured the movie very differently in my head. And when I saw it at Vidiot's that night, I was completely blown away because it's unlike any other concert film I've ever seen. And I think that maybe is the reason why I even hesitated seeing it. Because I was like, oh, it's just a concert movie. Who cares? What is there to see? It's just they tape people at a concert. And I think what Jonathan Demme does, and yes, Jonathan Demme, the director of Silence of the Lambs, directs Stop Making Sense. He decided to capture this concert in a way unlike anyone before him had done. Yeah, it's cinematic, right? Like it's a concert movie that tells a story about what a concert is, what a band is, how music gets made, all of it. It, it. it rises and falls. It has a structure. It has like a three-act kind of structure. But I would also argue it's a concert movie that takes out one of the biggest parts of concert movies, which is the audience. We are the audience. Like the people in the seats at the movie theater, wherever you are, you are the audience. And the reason why people are standing up and dancing in that show That concert is for you. Watching that, I felt like I saw a Talking Heads concert. I I don't know how to describe it more than that. The way the camera is so intimate with the performers and the way that you feel connected to them because you're not looking at it in a wide, you're looking at it in a tight. You're seeing everything. You're seeing every bead of sweat. You're watching a show unfold. And I would never have thought what makes a great concert movie is taking out the audience. <laughs> well, it can be hard, right, to cut to the audience. Sometimes in like concert films where they cut too much to the audience, I'm thinking, oh, this just feels like a heavy metal video from the 1980s. You know, cut right. to the audience and there's the hot girls and they're like, woo. You know, there's a way that I think I grew up imagining concert footage being, which is like, look how cool these guys are and look how cool the people are who like them. And aren't, isn't the band even cooler because the people who like them are cool? And like kind of this cyclical... We're so coolness, which is just absolutely the opposite of everything David Byrne represents. And I think everything that Jonathan Demme represents, like Jonathan Demme is capturing, I should say he's filming a performance of the band and an audience happened to be there while he was doing it. You know, he recorded this over two nights and it was at the Pantages Theater here in Hollywood. And I think to your point, those inserts of the crowd you know, the hot girl going, woo, or the guy just dancing (laughs) like crazy. Those very rarely are shots that are gotten at that exact moment, right? Those are inserts. You look around for the crowd, you find the right person, you pop them in at the right moment, you know, and I think it takes you out of the concert experience. It, It actually removes you because at a concert, you're not looking at the people around you that much. You're watching the stage. And now even more than ever, no matter what you see, stand-up comedy or, you know, sports games, concerts, you're watching a screen. The screens are giant. You go to like, you know, Cowboy Stadium. It's like the biggest screen ever. It's like, well, but I have the football field right in front of me. You know, it's like, but now that's part of the show. You can watch the screen or you can just look in front of you and watch the action. but we've Or you can watch the phone that you have in front of you as you're recording the screen <laughs> that's recording the person on the ground, which is what I feel like everybody's usually doing when I go to concerts lately. I hate that. Why are we recording full songs? You don't need to record a full song. If you want to FaceTime a friend, great. I get it. I mean, even that I have issues with. But truthfully, why are you recording this? <laughs> You're not going to get anything good. I, it makes me upset. It may, I'm like, just enjoy this moment. What Jonathan Demi does in Stopping Sense is he rips all the artifice off of the concert movie by starting it in this blank space, in this space that isn't set up for a concert. The concert builds around David Byrne. It, it It's kind of amazing. You watch the architecture. You're talking about that, like this three-act structure. We watch him come into nothing just with a boom box. 
and his feet. Hi. I got a tape I want to play. And that's the beginning. And that song, again, something I didn't realize until I'm older, really until I saw it. Like, that's not the version that people are even familiar with. Like, these are different orchestrations of some of these songs. Like, they sound wildly different. And and in a weird way, what this concert movie does, besides building from nothing, and they introduce everybody one by one in the beginning, kind of instead of the end. You know, normally a band will play for a long time and you know the concert's ending when they introduce everybody, everyone gets their lick in or their drum roll. Like here we build it out. So you start to understand and appreciate every element of this band, how they all work with each other and you have this greater appreciation of it. But at the same time, the orchestrations allow this not to just be a pure talking heads concert in the sense that I feel like they opened up their musical styling. So you're hearing all these different influences it just becomes this like party it really is a party on stage when we're watching the first person arrive going to the cops come you know there's no cops but you know maybe when you put on the suit that's the cops coming in but you know it really just builds and builds and builds and i think that collaboration between david byrne and demi is really interesting because david byrne seemingly is a perfectionist and wasn't going to just have them tape a concert film. Like he wanted to do something that was going to be kind of mind blowing and, and different. Like they both came at it going, how do we do this differently? Well, yeah. Cause David Byrne as a rock star, which I feel even weird. To say, it's hard to even call him a rock star with a straight face. Right. Even though I guess this music is rock and he is definitely a star. There's something about him that always just feels to me like a performance artist. It's like he's a performance artist coming out and showing his performance. And John he's and like, Demi's working with him and being like, yeah, let me show you how performance works. It starts with a naked stage. You got some stairs. You got some wires. You got some scaffolding. Let us show you how a performance is put together, starring this guy who's the center of this band. And even though you're going to watch the whole band assemble around him, it always just feels like you're watching David Byrne, you know, in the center. Like, right. It is. The, yeah. It is his band. He's the he band. Is, he is bringing it all together. It's all being siphoned through him. And I'll say that, you know, you talked about him as being a rock star and watching it. I was just convinced that he was uh, Cillian Murphy from Oppenheimer. Oh, my God. Uh, I wrote the same note. I wrote <laughs> the exact same note. I was like, when are we getting this Cillian Murphy like biopic of him? And I was like, when are the Oppenheimer boys? Are the Oppenheimer boys who wore their suits to go see Oppenheimer, are they going to get big suits and wear them when they go see Stop Making <laughs> Sense in theater? I would love that. I mean, because he's like what? He's like two-thirds Cillian Murphy, one-third Nathan Fielder, and a rock star. <laughs> he reminds me of David Bowie meets Andy Warhol. Meets Art- Bowie Herman? Sure. I mean, you know, I don't even see him as that. I just think that- of his gray suit and his little white shoes. Sorry. Yeah, okay. I'll buy it. Uh, you know, he right. does do a, a tequila-like dance in this. About the Oppenheimer thing, I was thinking of Oppenheimer so much watching this that there were lines in here that I was like, that's like an Oppenheimer line. That's like an Oppenheimer line. When he, when, when David Byrne is singing about splitting atoms right here. Gonna split those atoms. It's hotter than the sun. Not in a special substance. They're gonna pray for that man. Or, or, you know, when he's singing, my God, what have I done? I mean, that's just exactly what Oppenheimer is all about in the third act. Am I wrong? You may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? So basically you're saying it's a, it's a prequel and a sequel because it, <laughs> it picks up at the end. It's like the kind of the end third act of Oppenheimer is stop making sense, but we saw it first. So it's a. Technically, well, I guess it's a... Stoppenheimer <laughs> making sense? No. Make that poster. Instead of making your Barbieheimer <laughs> posters, make, a, make that. Stoppenheimer but, making sense. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. 
Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel I was lucky enough to see a Q&A with the talking heads at that vidiot's uh premiere night and you listen to his bandmates talk about the rehearsal process and the rehearsal process seemed arduous. It, it wasn't ready until it was perfect. And I think oftentimes when you see perfection, it doesn't seem like fun. This to me is that rare film where maybe every single move is completely choreographed. Every little detail is scripted, but yet it feels like we are watching a party. And when you watch that and when you feel that, like when I heard that afterwards, I was like, really? I once saw Patton Oswalt do a joke about Star Wars and it was so funny to me. And it felt to me like he was just talking off the cuff. He was performing at Largo and I understood how comedy worked and stand-up worked. But the way that he presented this joke was so casual down to the ums and ahs and, and, and the breath of it. And then a week later, I saw him do the exact same bit, the ums and ahs, and every little bit of it was exactly the same. And I felt duped. I was like, what? How did I know? And I think that's a sign of a great performer, which is making you feel like you are watching something that is completely present, but there is nothing left to chance. That's magic. And that's what the show is in a weird way. It is a magic show. We are watching a stage completely transformed. We're watching shadow puppets. We're seeing these things and we don't even know how they're all coming together, but it looks to us like it's just happening. But I have a feeling that like when he's running, he's like, oh, no, we do this running every night. And and so much so that the background uh, singers who are amazing said, oh yeah, no, I lost so much weight on that tour because we would run basically like three miles on stage. You know, I had that exact same thought watching this because you see David Byrne perform and it feels like the music is just flowing through him, right? Because mm-hmm. his moves seem so improvised. He's like, I don't know, right now I'm going to dance like one of those robot flowers where you play music and they shake their knees back and forth. I'm going to do like hula arms. I'm going to become a piece of seaweed. And it looks like he is showing you what it feels like to be possessed with the spirit of music. And then you look behind him and the backup dancers are doing the same thing because they knew he was going to do that, right? And I kept kind of having that little balance of like, it looks so improvised. It clearly isn't, you know, that the that the backup dancers are sort of the tell. And I love that they're backup dancers who are dressed, you know, not in the way they're usually dressed, like sequins or little dress or little like black mini skirt, you know, black tights that you always see backup dancers looking like they're wearing sneakers and they look like they're in gym class in the 70s because it's going to be a workout. You know, it's going to be an absolute workout. And I, I will say that's Edna Holt and Lynn Mabry, who are awesome. And they still are awesome to this day. When I saw that video screening, they were running around the audience as well. But I think you're right. Like this idea that people look the way they might look at a jam session. You know, when you look at everyone arrive on stage, David Byrne is standing out because he's in a suit, right? He looks a little bit more, again, the band leader vibe of this. Yeah. The other guys look like they're dressed for the army. They're just like ROTC. They're like in green jumpsuits. They're wearing a hoodie. I mean, they're wearing a hoodie on stage. like, And it's not like that energy of, I'm going to look so casual the way I think I've seen like, you know, rock bands dress. Like, oh, you yeah. know, I just jean- rolled out of bed and here I am. Yeah. With my chain I- wallet and my scarves. And again, I don't know and I don't want to know. That's the kind of the magic trick of this. Like, I don't want to know every detail of what they did. But hearing the band talk about the rehearsal process, which they did at Chelsea Piers. If you've been to New York in the last, oh God, like 20 years, Chelsea Piers is now like the sports complex. But when they were getting this together, it was a rat infested old ass pier. 
you know, and that's where they rehearsed this and that's where they got this down. And they said that the rehearsals for this were, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day. And that's David Byrne. And you can see the way that David Byrne has like kind of continued this trend. I don't know if you saw his the Netflix version of his Broadway show. There was that American Utopia, the Spike yes. Lee one? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was one of the films that really stands out to me from Pandemic. I think I've been thinking about concert films a lot since Pandemic because we were all stuck at home and then you were watching concert films. I remember that came out during Pandemic yeah. and like putting it on my TV, being alone in my house and, and dancing, you know? Here's him kind of a clip of like him explaining what he wanted from Utopia in the trailer. What if we could eliminate everything from the stage except the stuff we care about the most. Without cables or wires, what would be left? Well, it would be us and you. And that's what the show is. That one and also um, Summer of Soul. Those are my two, like, I miss being in crowds with people Mm. singing and dancing. And so these two concert films will scratch that itch for me. It is a musical traditionally, I guess, that you would see on Broadway, but it's not. It's it's this mix. It's this middle ground. I think you saw that with Bruce Springsteen. When Bruce Springsteen went to Broadway, he did this one-man show slash concert. It was a Bruce Springsteen concert, but it was also this journey of... Moment of of philosophy. He was like talking about how he views the world, which is something that Byrne doesn't really do. He just makes you feel it. You interpret it more than he tells you. I think David Byrne gets you from the feels like you. I I don't know who David Byrne is. I just know I just had a party with this guy and you go to his house party. They play great music. They introduced you to all these interesting ideas like the giant suit, you know, something out of like no theater, which is Japanese theater. And by the way, when I saw this Talking Heads night, Kim Gordon asked him about that suit. And Kim Gordon is amazing. I don't think she was super comfortable running this Q&A. And also, the band The Talking Heads is a tricky band to talk to. Like like a magician, they're not revealing their tricks. And so Kim Gordon was like, you know, the suit, that's kind of from like Japanese theater. And David Byrne said, yes. And then they went on to the next question. Like there was <laughs> I mean, no... They they said, yes. was like, he gave David Letterman at the time this movie came out a little bit of a longer explanation. Explain the giant, the jumbo suit. <laughs> Family size. I, uh, it was an inspiration I had when I was in Japan. And a, a man over there told me, you know, in the theater, everything should be a little bit bigger than real mm-hmm. life. And he was referring to, I think, gestures and the way you talk and whatnot. <laughs> I thought, ooh, well, <laughs> that solves my costume problem right there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it, uh, again, visually, it's very effective. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and he also explained a little bit more what the title means to him. I saw the movie uh, two days ago. It's really terrific. I heard you saw it all by yourself. I did. It was, a, it was an... Ex- well, no, it was a, not, not because of a poor turnout or anything. It was, uh, they, uh, they were kind enough to let me come in early. Yeah. And it was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. What, explain the, uh, what we saw there. Uh, Stop Making Sense. That's the title. What does it mean? It's, it's good advice. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> It's uh, advice not to uh, be rational all the time. Yeah. That actually even reminds me of like the UCB slogan, which is, our price systems brigade, uh, which is don't think, right? And that, oh. that's their whole mentality <laughs> for how to approach comedy. Don't overthink it. Just don't think. Free yourself from trying to fit in. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to think about in art. I do love that. But I also do agree with you that you kind of feel a strange tension when you watch this show. You know, I I was looking at my notes and they all sound so ominous when I write them down. Like like when he returns uh, to the stage in Girlfriend is Better after the Tom Tom Club has gotten to perform after he leaves and like everybody else finally gets their little moment. I wrote, his shadow shows up first like I have returned and I will never leave again. Giant suit is in charge. And then I also wrote, Strange that his arms are so hairy, comma, so human. It's like when I write notes on David Byrne, I'm wrestling with the fact that I like him so much and something about him unnerves me. It freaks me out. And you can kind of hear it even though like the other band members will talk about this after the fact. Like David told us we all had to wear neutral colors because he didn't want anybody to stand out too much. And then he shows up in the biggest suit you've ever seen in your life. Or the background dancers being like, you know, we didn't love our outfits. We, we kind of like to dress up. 
but so it goes. Or like the Edna had changed her hair the day before and David Byrne was like, no, you have to toss your hair around. Like any emergency paid for her to get like a weave the day before. Like you have to have your hair. You know, in the past couple of years, more and more has come out about David Byrne. You know, he was with Tina Weymouth, uh, who was the bass player in Talking Heads. So, you know, she's talked about how hard it was to work with him because he is a taskmaster, but also somebody who doesn't show that much love. And when people talk about the, how the band broke up, they said, well, the band didn't break up. David just left. And I think it kind of put him in a position later in life to answer this. You know, fans are like, well, did you just like fuck over your band? And, you know, he came out and said, you know, he has Asperger's. He's not fully connected to how he's coming across. Now he is regretting that, you know, like he he feels like he handled that breakup really badly. He feels better now when he works with people that he can hear their opinion as well, because he was a person who was like, I just told everybody what to do. And that, to your point, he told everybody what to do. That really put a lot of strain and tension on all the relationships. It's fascinating, right? Because this is a realization that he's sort of come to recently. You know, recently he was on, I think, a podcast with Amy Schumer where she asked him about this. And he was like, oh, yeah, I've actually had time to think about how my brain is wired and how that affects people. Were you ever diagnosed as being on the spectrum? No. You just like figured it out. No, I just, I just figured it out. I read, the, I read what <laughs> the read various the, things the, are. The checklist. Go, uh, yeah, check, check, check. check, check. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's where I stop. Yeah. But, but <laughs> Have you ever thought about like, are you just interested in like learning about your brain in that way more? Like, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, having uh, my own experience and, mm-hmm. and not having lived in someone else's body <laughs> right, <laughs> or right. brain. Yes. I kind of, yes, not yet. That's coming, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of felt like, um, well, that's, yeah, that's my superpower. That's what, Absolutely. That's what I, this is, I can use this mm-hmm. in, in my way. But it also makes it so striking that like when Pauline Kael reviewed Stop Making Sense at the time, she weirdly called it like her descriptions of David Byrne in this review to me are like legendary. They're some of my favorite writing she ever did. It's just so accurate. I'll just read my favorite sentences and you'll see why I'm redoing this. She wrote, Stop Making Sense is the only current movie that is a dose of happiness from beginning to end which actually kind of feels like she could write that about this year. Maybe that's why people are liking it. But she says, seeing the movie is like going to an austere orgy. David Byrne is so white, he's almost mock white. And so are his jerky, long neck mechanical man movements. He seems fleshless, bloodless. He might almost be a parody of how a clean-cut white man moves. And then she goes on to say that he has a withdrawn, disembodied sci-fi quality and that there's something unknowable and almost autistic about him. He makes autism fun. The others don't come together with Byrne, but the music comes together. Which is sort of how I also felt too. Like the the songs become this unit, but it never feels like a band has made the unit. Do you know what I mean? No, that's a really astute way of putting it. Like he would be doing what he is doing regardless of the band around him. And if they sync up, great. But maybe that's also the reason that the show starts the way it does. Him alone with a boombox. Is this a dream, like a fever dream of his? Well, I think that makes it so much more fascinating how amazing he is at holding the camera and holding the attention, Mm -hmm. you know, because like there are so many performers who are like, pay attention to me. He doesn't try to endear himself to the audience. He is who he is and he performs how he performs. You know, he's not like begging for your approval. And there's something about that that really draws me to him as well where I'm fascinated by this guy. Like he's like half scientist, half preacher. What, what admires me about the way that Demi captures him is that every single number in this production feels differently from the other one. It never really gets monotonous to me. You know, he changes up styles like constantly, like towards the second half of the show, you know, around like the this must be the place time. He's building that library in the backdrop. He turns on the lamp. He's doing this very strange version of like Gene Kelly and a light post, but like running around and catching this lamp. And it sort of looks like at home karaoke, like you're having a karaoke party with David Byrne. But then behind him, Jonathan Demi is like shooting the band with all of this blackness around them where it almost starts to look kaleidoscopic. Like he's taking different pictures of them and putting them together in a montage. 
but it's it's not that. It's not like a collage. It's like it's just the way the stage is set and where his cameras are. It goes from like sparse to like homey to surreal. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders like Emma Stone, Paul Giamatti, and America Ferreira. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. When you start to think about concert movies, there's so many people who have taped stand-up specials, musical performances. Like, what makes a good one great? And I think you could have a great show and a bad concert movie. And I think that maybe the definition here is movie. Like, what makes this an elevated piece of art? Like, a live concert experience is unique. And I talk about this a lot with podcasts. People go, oh, we want to take your podcast and make it into a show or this. It's like, well, no, no, no. It's a podcast. Like, if we're going to go and do that, it's got to be reconceived. And a lot of the times, I don't think that you want that. Like, that's why I think a lot of podcasts that have been turned into something else is like, well, no, no, no. It's, it's popular because of the way it is done. And not everything has to translate, but because people want to make more money on it, they'll throw a camera on it and they'll tape it. And you can tape a live performance and it could be funny. It could be, it could be, the songs are great, but these are movies. These transcend. And I think that people forget that. Like, what are the differences? If it's an angle, is it, you're trying something. You're right. I mean, I was laughing when you said this was at the Pantages because it made me think about how much we've just tried to muddy the waters by squeezing money from one format to another format to another format. Like I was there last year to see a musical they made about the Alanis Morissette album. You know, the one with like, isn't it ironic on it? They're like, how could we turn an album that everybody loves into a musical? And the answer at the same exact theater was really badly. You know, I mean, it will not surprise you to know that it's like about they set the song ironic in a classroom where an English teacher is like, this is not ironic, by the way. It's like, it's just everybody's first draft of what that song could be. And even Jonathan and Demi couldn't like totally duplicate it. Cause like then the other X factor is, are you going to make and release this thing at the moment where the timing is perfect? You know, because he also goes on like decades later to do, you know, more concert films. He does one with Justin Timberlake in 2016 in Vegas And you can tell when you watch it that he has just waited too long to do these Timberlake songs. The moment has passed. The performance has passed. It doesn't work. And when you rework the songs to make them sound more modern here, it just kind of falls flat. Whether I'm stressing that he uh, is in Vegas because he kind of says hello to Vegas in this clip, but it's like a little mumbled. One time. Two times. One time, two times. Oh, we just get warmed up, Vegas. Oh, we just get warmed up, Vegas. And it kind of makes me sad because, yeah. like, I love that song. It doesn't work. Nothing in it works. And it's always fascinating to me when somebody can get a format right and then not be able to duplicate it, not be able to duplicate the genius that went into it. Not as in, like, you should turn Justin Timberlake into David Byrne, but just as in to understand why a thing is great and not be able to figure out how to do it again. So frustrating. Right, well, because I think every band is different. I think that that's why we watch this glut of stand-up specials. And I I put stand-up specials in with the concert discussion because it's the same idea, right? You're performing to a large group of people. I think that people have gotten to this idea that any stand-up special 
is fine shot simply because you're just listening to it. Like it's as long as the jokes are in front, it's good. And then you see something like Bo Burnham's Inside, which is not a traditional comedy special, but it's different. You're like, oh, wait a second. Wait, what is this? Or you look at like John Early doing his stand-up special and you're like, oh, okay. Like there has to be, I think a couple things at play to make a great concert movie. One, you're doing something that you can't capture on an iPhone. You know, we talked about in the beginning, like I have my iPhone up, I'm taping it. It's got to be beyond that. What are we doing beyond that? And I think many things just exist like that. And then there's this other thing. Are we capturing something unique? Like the band's last performance, right? That's, whoa, that's a moment. We're capturing the band's last performance. And then you have someone like Scorsese getting in there and doing these interviews and you're seeing it from a different way. Or you're watching Gimme Shelter. You're capturing a moment. Or you're watching Bob Dylan, which I don't even know if you can classify that as a concert movie. It's more of like talking about what is celebrity, but but they're yeah. doing something like, you know, they're and then like, some, they're capturing this moment or like Monterey Pop, like the one from 1968, D.A. Pennybaker, which is one of my favorite concert docs. Like yeah. that one, because there are no hard and fast rules here, that one is to me is all about the audience. Like it's not just about Jimi Hendrix setting his guitar on fire. It's about then you turn to like the kids going, whoa, when Jimi Hendrix sets his guitar on fire. Yeah. It's about like seeing the different hippie kids like passed out or like standing around looking kind of cold or cuddling with each other. Like it captures history like a scene, a moment, which is not right. at all what, what this one's about. Well, and, and I would say that that's something that makes the Unplugged series really interesting. Like the Nirvana Unplugged. Oh, my God. Is, of a generation. I mean, yeah, that, that is a beautiful piece. But it's like they're doing the songs, that you know, differently. You're capturing them at this moment. You feel really up close and personal with them. It's quiet. It's small. And then you have something like Beyonce's Homecoming, which is just like, whoa, only happened once. You needed to see it. And when you see it, jaw on the goddamn floor. It's just like, what? And it's coming from her. Like she's from written it, her. directed it. It's a spectacle. And she's also, you know, revealing herself too, revealing like what it was like to put the show together. A lot of the choreography is about feeling. So it's not as technical. It's your own personality that brings it to life. And that's hard when you don't feel like yourself. You know, they recently just played that at the Academy Museum in like the new giant theater. And I love that too. People being like, this gigantic spectacle of Beyonce belongs in the museum of the Academy. Yes. It belongs big. And they've been just playing great music stuff there, by the way. This is like, I saw a movie that never got released. It was um, Penelope Spheris' documentary on Ozfest, which oh, to I've me is like, it's that. in that yes. Monterey pop vibe. You know, because yeah. that movie never got released. She shot it in Ozfest, like 99, 2000. And then they couldn't get the rights of all the music. So it never happened. But like going back in time and seeing 1999 again on stage, not even liking most of this music, but remembering what that era felt like, fascinating. And I only wish that movie could come out. If I had seen that movie in 99 when it came out, I'd be like, I kind of don't like most of these people. I don't know if I want to watch that. And then you watch it now and you're like, this is actual history. This is captured history. Well, right. That's that's this time capsule and that's a bigger piece right that's like you're going into a moment it's almost like the way i think about the uh, the fire festival it's yeah like you you're, went right yeah, uh, yeah I, of, of course toast. i bought i bought all that <laughs> stuff me and ja rule had a great time um but when i look at the taylor swift movie the one that everyone is talking about the one that i think is bringing so many people out to their first ever concert movie you know 240 million dollar gross so far highest grossing concert film of all time People are dancing in the theater. It's creating a new trend. I think that she smartly took a page from Beyonce's book. She did the Beyonce version of this. Like, you know what? This is a moment in my career where I am celebrating 17 different albums, these moments in my life, and I'm putting them all together. And that show is a goddamn spectacle. And it looks beautiful. And you needed to capture that. It's in both Beyonce and Taylor Swift, like these are movies where you see the audience. I think there's an energy of those that, hey, we know you couldn't get there or not everyone could get there or you've told somebody about it and they need to see it. Like this is for the greater good. Like if you didn't get to see it, you got to see it. You have to see this. Like you have to see the spectacle. Those are concerts that are beyond a typical concert. That's not just capturing a concert. 
that's capturing an event, a musical event. And I really thought it was interesting that, you know, Taylor went that direction and Beyonce, instead of duplicating that, seemingly is going the Madonna route, the truth or dare route on this one, making more of a a concert diary, which I think is really smart to your point. Like she can't duplicate it. We already saw that. And even if it was as good, it won't be as good because we've already seen that. What's the sequel? You know, ultimately, what what's the sequel? The shows are great. Both shows are amazing. But how do we make it more personal? How do we get in? And I think she smartly did it differently. Yeah, I mean, oh, truth or dare. I really want to rewatch Truth or Dare before I go see Madonna this spring because you know that I have a deep, deep abiding love Oh, for I'll be there. I will be there for Madonna in March. Oh, really? I'm there. Oh, oh, yeah. oh which I, I'm going the first night. I don't know. Where. I had already bought my tickets and then when she canceled. <gasps> oh. uh, so yeah, I won no. them. So I have to find out which one I'm going <laughs> to. I'll them. tell you. No, she was my last big concert I saw before pandemic. She was doing this like cabaret kind of show just at oh, tinier wow. theaters like the Wiltern that were all about how much she loves Portugal. I don't know. It was it was a great show though. It was a great show though. But like I think that her boldness in Truth or Dare kind of like presages how celebrities act towards the camera today. You know, she kind of makes it okay for Beyonce to be more open about how she's feeling, even though Madonna's not open so much about her vulnerabilities. She's just open. But then you right. contrast that to somebody like Taylor, who's I thought that Eras was fascinating. And I will admit, like, I did not enter the theater to see Eras as a Swifty. Not that I dislike, I've liked every song I've ever heard of her. It's just like, it. I never really did the work to know her whole catalog. Right. And I just like came converted because like what makes that film major is you're watching an artist at the height of her career, although who knows, it could get bigger, doing this like epic stadiatorium that really goes through her whole musical biography, you know, like the high school country tunes and like the big pop bangers and like the the aggressive snarky hits and the piano ballads and the pandemic era folk and all of it. And because her songs are so intimate, it kind of feels like you're getting a personal biography told out of order, even though she never takes you behind the stage. She's never telling you the work she went in. You're not watching her practice with her dancers. You're just watching it, you know, and she arranges the segments by mood. It's not chronological. But it really does feel like this spectacle that's also the story of an artist told entirely through just one concert with not even really that much chit chat between songs. I mean, she's a performer who does basically the opposite of what Byrne is doing. You know, he's like, I'm up here doing my shit. Watch me or not. She is always reflecting it back at them, like pointing and waving and saying thank you all the time to the audience. The nicest thing in the world is how you guys have approached this tour with so much excitement and you got so into it and you dress up and you and the, the fact that you care this much is what has made this tour so special for me and everyone you see on stage so thank you by the way, I should say, like, all the clips I might play of the Eras tour we'll hear are not from the movie because I can't pull clips yet. So they're just clips of people doing what we're like, why are you doing this? Which is taping the show and putting it on YouTube. What is front and center is the spectacle of her songwriting, which is different, you know, than other things. Beyonce, I think it's a spectacle of just like, whoa, holy shit. Not, that's not to say that Taylor Swift's show is not visually exciting it is it's it's astounding but she's not a dancer right no beyonce is helming like a dancing performance yes taylor swift is walking around very very well but that's like that's like kind of the extent of like her dancing you know it is all about the song the music and i think the reason why you walk out as a fan of taylor swift is because even though she's not saying this song means this this song means that i i did this you come to know her through the music that's the way I felt too. Is like I was a Taylor Swift fan seeing Eras live. I left being a giant fan. Yeah. And just how impressive her catalog is, how catchy it is, how engaging it is. And yes, there's spectacle along, but I think you watch that Beyonce Homecoming and you think, holy shit, that is impressive. I've never that that the choreography, everything. You may not go back and listen to another Beyonce album, but you just watched me. You're like, whoa, blew my mind. And then Taylor Swift makes you walk away thinking something different. And I think that's the other thing about these movies. And, and again, thinking about it and going back to Truth or Dare for a second, it's like, what do you leave with? It's not just, I saw a show. I left being a bigger Taylor Swift fan. I left being in awe of Beyonce. I left feeling like I got to see the band's last performance. I lived with Bob Dylan 
wrestling with himself or with Madonna, here's this very controversial person, this very outspoken person, and we see her with some walls torn down. And I think we leave with a more sympathetic version of Madonna. Not like sympathetic, like, oh, she's not who she is, but you see another side of her, what she does, what she cares about. You know, I think that like that movie is amazing because what it did for gay culture, you know, that's like, this is like the Paris is burning of the nineties or, I mean, but you're, but you're coming into this world and you're like, oh no, this is my world. This is who I am. And you leave going like, yeah, those Madonna songs are great, but I just, I spent some time with Madonna. This is what it would be like to, live with Madonna, go on the show, even though it's her final show. But I think there has to be a goal of what you want people to walk away with. What are you trying to convey? And it can't just be, this person was funny, so we're taping their stand-up special. You know, this concert's good. That band is good. You know, Nirvana, that band is good. But that special is unique. Yeah, like I found myself really absorbed in the question, kind of watching eras of how is it possible to be a performer who writes songs that are so personal? People know who you're talking about. You know, they know the boyfriend that you're talking about. You're standing center of the stage kind of by yourself for a 10-minute number, performing all too well, talking about the ex-boyfriend who broke your heart, talking about the scarf. revealing this whole human that's behind tablets or is it everybody knows what you're talking about and yet she's not just able to be that intimate in front of people that vulnerable she's able to also work the camera like work the audience kind of having a small world in which she sings about a small like her inner emotional landscape is what she sings about but having it connect to like a stadium that is i don't even know how many multiples of times bigger than the pantages yeah, to be sitting there in the middle of the stage being like, I'm a lonely millennial covered in cat hair, which was one of the things she said of the movie that just really made me laugh. But also having that stage confidence in that kind of stage power control sound like negative words, but like you just usually don't see a performer who has that duality inside of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, you know, for me, Beyonce is somebody who is this amazing visionary performance artist as well. Like I think that she shares similarities with David Byrne. Yeah. I think that Taylor Swift is someone who is really smart about how she presents herself. I, I think that like Taylor Swift has done something next to impossible in a way. Like, you know, she not only is the most popular person, has this giant movie, but then like kind of gets people on her side in the NFL. People who may be like, ah, Taylor Swift. Like she has a winning way of understanding how she works and there's an earnestness there and there's it's not put on and she's got this very aspirational, very much, you know, she talks shit. Taylor Swift in different moments in our world could be hated, but she's beloved because I think that she has such control over her image. And I'm, I'm and that's something that, you know, I think Madonna did it, but Madonna like to like touch the third rail and kind of jolt you back. I'm in your house and now I'm going to say something you don't know. And you're like, oh, there's a mastery that these people have, these musicians have that really understand like, if I'm putting this to film, I need to do something different, something better. It's It just is not a cash grab. Yeah, no, it's big and it's small kind of at the same time. You know, I, I thought all the different eras had this amazing look to them like my favorite one looks wise was probably the evermore era where it's like oh, druid yeah. and she's at the moss piano and she's kind of doing a nod to citizen kane during like the song tolerate it where like the couple's at the ends of a long 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 table i loved that look i loved the dress but kind of more than that i loved like having the camera so close up to her that you could see when she's got like the long white dress on and she's kind of having so much fun with her sleeves she seems to be having so much fun in all of her costumes, like looking down in mid song and being like, boy, do I love wearing this really crazy dress. Yes. And there's something about that that I just really felt endeared to, you know, and I saw this movie um, at the premiere and they premiered it at AMC, which is just like the craziest night I've ever had in a Los Angeles movie theater where they took the AMC here at the Grove, the mall with the little trolley that runs through it. They shut down the entire Grove for this movie premiere. Picture whatever mall is in your hometown, the biggest, fanciest mall, and imagine them shutting it all down early. All of the stores, the Apple store, the the Neiman Marcus, the Nordstrom, everything for a movie premiere. Completely crazy. 
they took over every single theater in the AMC and she like went around and said hello to every single theater to like introduce the movie. So it took forever for this movie to start. But in my theater were like her parents and her band, which was so cool because every time one of the band members would get a close up, you would hear them behind you kind of cheer for the person that it was. Adorable, adorable. But the other person who was in my theater by himself, no one else, no kids there for him was Flava Flav. And uh, like, amazing. I did not know that Flavor Flav was a Swifty, but he is. He's talked about it a lot. And a lot of people thought it was kind of weird seeing me at a Taylor Swift concert, I guess, because of my age, you know what I'm saying, and the whole nine. But, you know, when it comes down to music, it has no age. Her records are real from her personal experiences. Not only that, but she keeps it real with her, with her people. You know what I'm saying? And that's what makes me a big, big fan of Taylor Swift. I want to call me a Swifty. That's cool. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to be Swift like Taylor, baby. Just trying to be Swift like Taylor, baby. <laughs> but what he did that was so funny at in, in our screening was like he kind of went around like he was almost like the Pope of Taylor Swifties. And he went around giving people like guitar picks that had Taylor Swift's face on them and like shaking hands and taking photos with them. And he came and he gave us these Taylor Swift guitar picks. And I was like, what is happening? Like, and my friend next to me was like, there's a stack of those for free outside. He just took the stack and he's like bringing them inside and giving them out to people. But Amazing. it felt like communion. It felt like a tail, like Flavor Flav was like, here's your communion wafer. It just happens to be a Taylor Swift guitar pick. I'm just trying to capture absolutely how surreal that night was, to be honest. It was still just so surreal. But I think that that kind of brings us all back to where we started, which is we went to movie theaters for a moment, right? To share. Oh my gosh, am I sounding like Nicole Kidman right now? Um, you know, we go to these places. <laughs> yeah. Somehow Flavor Flav handing you a guitar pick feels good in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I think that what what's happened is with this streaming same day kind of stuff. It doesn't feel like there's a reason to go. What is the reason to go? And by all intents and purposes, I haven't seen it yet, but everyone loves the Marvels. Everyone's like, yeah, it's good. It's fun. I like it. It's great. But, you know, the papers are like, well, it's, it, 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 it failed. It, it, the papers, who am I? Old timey Joe, you know, the papers say. Um, but, you know, it's <laughs> like the, uh, you know, the, the reviews have been like, well, Marvel's failing. It's failing. And I think what's happening is not that Marvel's failing. I think people don't feel inspired to go. There's no reason to go. Why am I going to go see the Marvels when in three weeks it's going to be out on video on demand or Disney Plus? It's going to be cheaper. I mean, by the way, that's a big part of it. If you have a family, you can have access to that for $29. That's one and a half movie tickets if you have a family of four, right? You know, like, of course. And no one ever talks about that. But they really should. They really should. I think that's hurting movie theaters and the future of movie theaters more than almost anything. It's like you can't go. It's not affordable to go. So the way they make it an event is by making something that the talking head stopping sense has no release date from Amazon yet. The 4K, you know, remastered from the original print, nothing. Beyonce, we don't know. Taylor Swift, no. These are behind a wall you have to go and maybe we'll start to see this more and more like you know my friends are in gutenberg my buddy anthony king wrote that back when i was in ucb years and years 20 years ago and i saw it off broadway when they did it off broadway and now it's this amazing show with andrew rannells and josh gad it's like maybe that will be it because i always see those moments when you're in theaters like the opera live from houston you'll see puccini's this and it's like well i have no interest in seeing that and and yes shame on me for not having an interest in the opera but um yes shame on you for not having sh- an interest yes. in the opera uh, shame. but like you, you see these like things you know sometimes there are these like british productions like, there's a great thing that was going on during pandemic where they would do these like live feeds of these shows i saw so many cool live feeds of like shows but that idea of something being special of, of kind of asking you to work a little bit right because don't you love being asked to work just a little bit harder to, to feel like it was special? They've come to How Did This Get Made a handful of times to say, would, would you guys do a live streaming movie theater event? And, you know, uh, we have said no only because we haven't figured out how to make it that thing that could be bigger. Again, you can stream these things. You can watch these things. There's a lot of streaming out there. But if you're bringing people in that theater, they're eating popcorn, if they're there, how do you make it 
an event. And I think that like, we're watching this transitional moment where it's like, yes, we can stream live across the world. Yes, we can capture things. How do we bridge it? How do we make something where we're just not passive? We bring them in. And that's what Talking Heads does. Talking Heads puts you there. Taylor Swift puts you there. And Beyonce puts you there like Madonna puts you there. You're getting a completely different experience than if you saw the show. Like you need both. To, you need to see the show live and you need to see the movie. Taylor Swift, like you could see them, you could see the concert and not feel like anything was ruined because that's a unique experience. But yet you also saw this mind-blowing performance. And I always thought like it's interesting. She's releasing this before the concert's over. But I think it's kind of great because when you see it, you're like, oh, fuck, I want to go see that live. It's like Hamilton or something. Like, I, I got to go see it live. Like, even though it's on Disney+, Plus, you want to go see it. You got to go see it. I think that that's the future of entertainment to a certain extent, too. I kind of do, as, too. I honestly you know? do, too. How do we keep this need to go see things? How do we bring that back? And I think we bring it back with interesting, unique moments. Right now, musicians are leading the way. Yeah, yeah. Community is leading the way, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. You want to walk out of someplace and be like, that was so fun to whoever you came with. Or if you're Flavor Flav, just walk out and be like, that was so fun to everybody since you came completely alone because you were just like that into it. People who go alone to something that they really want to do is like one of my favorite absolute types of people. Anyway, tiny sub. I just wanted to say like shout out to Flavor Flav. So it didn't sound like I was like, you sad person who came alone. It's more like, oh, you no, awesome I mean, person I think, like, I think you came alone. That's so fucking cool. One of the best nights that I've seen in recent memory has been the talking head. Stop making sense where everyone just started an impromptu dance party. It was amazing. One of the best movie theater experiences I've ever had in my life was Jackass the movie because it was packed. And yes, you could watch Jackass on MTV every week, but the way that they did it, they blew it up too. And, you know, it's like, it's not like a different thing, but they also did a different thing. I, I appreciate the way Jackass tries really hard to make different types of movies. Actually, in talking about Jackass right now, it might be fun to revisit that conversation. Like when we were having that first conversation about the movies, I kept on really saying how much Jackass is like Charlie Chaplin. This idea like, you know, this idea that we're watching like silent film and and the way that people felt when they were watching silent films. Like, oh my God, like that's Harold Lloyd on the front of a train. Like, what is this? And I love this idea of Movies that are trying to push the boundaries. It's not just a traditional movie. It's not just a concert movie. It's this experience. It's this moment. And I loved our conversation about like this bunch of films that they made and and why they all seemingly are hits because they keep on upping the ante and finding different ways, not just pranks, but different ways to engage an audience. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. That conversation is one of my favorite ones that we've had in a minute too. I feel like there is an argument to talk about like skateboarding videos, skateboarding culture, skateboarding daredevilry, having this like great cinematic connection, like being, I would say like a breeding ground for some talent and weirdly having only, it's, it's surprising me that I can only really think of like Spike Jones as being like the number one director coming out of this. Cause I want to imagine there would be more. You know, I think there's this mix here that kind of feels where our culture has gone, which is these were short little interstitials. You know, this was a perfect thing for YouTube. This is a perfect thing to be passed around. You know, the way that we use Instagram or TikTok now, like they were at the forefront of doing very interesting things that were really attention getting that you wanted to show your friends. They weren't pranks per se. Like it wasn't like the grape lady, you know, falling over like that kind of a thing. It was like, oh my gosh, you have to see this just really interesting artistic thing. And I think you walk around in any sort of city and you're seeing kids out there with video cameras and skateboards still to this day. You know where I feel like we should go? I kind of want to go to a movie that straddles the difference between like concert, movie, performance, genre-breaking video game structure, kind of a movie that kind of feels like it can break all the rules and do whatever it wants. What if we do Scott Pilgrim? You know what, Amy? I'm so excited you said Scott Pilgrim because right now... There's so much talk about Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim takes off the new animated series, an anime series, another switch in this world. This is another kind of story that continues to morph as society, as time passes. I remember reading the books and seeing the movies. Now we're seeing the video game. Now we're watching this anime series. I love that we're going back there. I know it's going to upset many people who are like, you're doing that before you do Shaun of the Dead. But yes, I think thematically it ties together perfectly. So let's do Scott Pilgrim versus the world 
Edgar Wright's 2010 film. You can get that wherever you get streaming films. And I guess the question is, to you all listening and to me and Amy, does Stop Making Sense belong on the list of the 100 best movies? I am without hesitation going to say yes. Whoa. I'm going to take a minute to sleep on it. Okay. But I love the spirit. The spirit makes yeah. me want to put my knees together and wobble around like a like a robot plant. I love it. All right. So next week, we will be talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, and our executive producers, Cody Fisher and Amelia Chapelo, and our MVP, Molly Reynolds. Our theme song is by Michael Cassidy, and our fan art is by Kim Troxell. Follow Unspooled on Twitter and Instagram and join in the conversation about all things Unspooled on the Paul Shear Discord at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, and you can get a deck of Unspooled playing cards and more merch at podswag.com. Finally, See the official API list of Unspooled Films and more about the show at unspooledpod.com. 